this is Sophie Wilson, and you are listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Support the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast on patreon.com slash slowboatsailing. Welcome to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. This is Linus Wilson. On this episode, we talk to Christian of the Sailing Yacht Zero and hear about his travels in the North Pacific from California to Mexico to Hawaii, to Alaska, to Canada, and back down the coast of California. Christian's an interesting guy, and he's got a great YouTube channel, and he talks about how he sailed offshore without a rudder in the interview. So in the last episode, I gave a kind of short shrift to the offshore passage that I did with two crew members, Sahia and Ben, in December and I wanted to go more in detail about that trip. So we went offshore and we had uh, kind of headwinds and so we kind of went a little bit north of our course so we could be close hauled. And the first night we had uh, probably about 15 knot winds and uh, we were headed probably about 20 or 30 degrees too far north versus our course which was pretty much due west a little with a little bit of south in it the first night out of ecuador we all got seasick despite having the scopolamine patches which i had never experienced before so i was not able to keep down my coffee in the morning but you know really after that first 24 hours of seasickness we had really no problems with seasickness after that and we had no problem reading or using the computer in the cabin or eating or anything like that so it was a it was kind of a brief bout of seasickness it you know maybe it was caused because we were kind of more going into the wind Uh, certainly Jana and Sophie had that problem on the Ecuador passage we were going upwind and they felt pretty green in the gills although I think Sophie was the only one that threw up in that passage but all three of us threw up when we left Ecuador me Sahia and Ben so Sahia and Ben I interviewed through a crew matching service so one of the things that I mentioned briefly last episode was that I'm holding a drawing when we hit an $80 goal for Patreon to have one of the patrons join the crew. But since then, I thought, you know, wouldn't it be great to have someone who wanted to come, come. So I've set up the, the star executive producer level on Patreon for someone who definitely would like to join the crew. While the cost of the star executive producer slot, and there's only one, it is a $99 pledge per episode or per month. That is actually not a lot of money if you're thinking about this summer because we really only have three months until departure. And, you know, even if you break up 300 by $14, that comes to something like $20 per day, which is pretty low, you know, if I were going to do a shared contribution, I'd probably set my price at $30. 
and then I would interview people and only select the people that I wanted to come. But, you know, I want uh, somebody that, you know, believes in the podcast, that believes in the YouTube series, who would like to be a star in the YouTube series. And uh, so I'm making this available and I'm not really choosing who I'm going to bring aboard. So I probably had three dozen expressions of interest in the crew positions that Sahia and Ben took. And they were taking offshore crew positions instead of island hopping positions, right? So I would think island hopping is more desirable than an offshore passage, personally. Uh, it's just, just more fun. There's more things you can do. It's more leisurely. It's not constant night watches and the like. But even for that, for my relatively modest boat, you know, I had at least uh, several dozen people that expressed interest. And, you know, I got to choose who I wanted to. And and I think if you're in that market, uh, number one, you're probably not going to get the opportunity to do a two-week crew position. Two, it's probably only going to be for an offshore passage. Three, it's probably not going to be in such a desirable cruising ground. Obviously, if you compare it to a captain charter and, you know, you're starting and ending at the same place, more or less, it's two weeks, I am a captain, then the costs get into like $400 a day. So if you end up paying $20 a day, wow, that's a deal. And, you know, you don't have to go through a huge screening process. The one thing I would probably uh, say for sure is that, you you know, I have a couple waivers you have to sign. I won't allow uh, smoking on the boat. So we've had several people join our Patreon crew in the last couple weeks. Uh, I've put out some very popular videos. And I think a a lot of people uh, that have signed up recently are coming from the YouTube channel, the Slow Boat Sailing YouTube channel. We have our Panama Canal video out. We have a episode 33, which is not released on iTunes or Stitcher yet, but our guest interview is available in, in video format with the crew of SV Delos right now. So check it out on YouTube if you want to hear the whole interview in its entirety. That'll be there on YouTube and we'll bring that to you in next month's April's uh, podcast, uh, a selection of that interview. So thanks to Justin, Kevin, Billy, and John who are our new patrons. Uh, Justin and Kevin are crew level, so for $1, they get access to all the bonus episodes and my book, How to Sail Around the World, part-time as an audiobook in their patron-only RSS feeds. And John signed up for the first mate level, and he gets all that, plus he gets uh, my audiobook version of Slow Boat to Cuba. My newsletter subscribers just got free versions of that as we held a few free days in the month of March and February. And I'm giving the first nine chapters of the audiobook 
to newsletter subscribers who sign up and they'll get a promo code so that they can download the first nine chapters out of 17 chapters total in Slobo to Cuba as an extra thanks for people for signing up to my free newsletter. Billy pledged $10, which is our biggest pledge ever. He would be eligible for the Admiral level rewards, which come with at least a $9 pledge at this time. But Billy chose no reward, and so if you're Billy and you would like to get access to all the RSS feed, the audiobooks, the bonus episodes, your name in the credits of the Round the World Vlog series as an, a senior associate producer, and your name in the acknowledgments of one of my books, then send me an email at linuswilson at yahoo.com or send me a personal message on Facebook or Twitter or Patreon. So I just completed a, a study of sailing channels 444 sailing channels and looked at the ones that participated in crowdfunding on patreon.com and one of the things that I found and I summarized the results of that in my video on the slow boat sailing YouTube channel while most people focus on the thousands that channels like SV Delos and La Vagabond make the majority of sailing channels that crowdfund on Patreon make $73 or less, and they produce a ton of videos, that they produce a video a week compared to other sailing channels that don't crowdfund that produce about three or four videos per year. So the fact that their audience helps support the video production efforts makes a huge difference in video output and a little bit of money $73 an episode is a little bit of money it goes a very long way so to give you an idea what expenses I have incurred I've incurred over $2,000 in expenses to produce this podcast and the video series on the slow boat sailing YouTube channel and I collected $240 in Patreon I'm only counting my direct expenses, so the camera gear that I bought, the computer gear that I had to buy because of the storage requirements and also the the speed of a computer that I need to edit video. I'm only counting the hosting that I pay to host the, the podcast and the internet that I pay in foreign countries so that I can upload the podcast and now uh, the vlog series when I'm out cruising. I have a full-time job. I I don't know any other podcasters that don't have full-time jobs, but they spend a lot, a long time creating the content to produce a weekly vlog series that people will watch is definitely a full-time job probably for two adults and you know all but the two that are most successful are not making enough to pay their expenses uh, just living expenses but 
you know, if you're a wildly successful sailing YouTube channel, maybe you can cover minimum wage for the hours that you put in. But most of them just aren't covering their camera gear expenses. So check out that video on my YouTube channel and there's a link to the academic paper with all the stats that back up my statements in the description of that video. How to make money on Patreon like Sailing Love Vagabond and Espidelos. I'll keep sailing around the world whether or not uh, I do a podcast or I do a video series. You know, I don't need to be in the content creation business, which does not pay for itself, to, to pursue my sailing. And that would free me up to have a lot more time to pursue other things. I don't particularly think of uh, encouraging cruising sailors as the most worthwhile charity that I could pursue. That I think there are a lot of better places that you know you can put your time and money that will go a lot farther than encouraging men aged over 35 uh, who would like to do long distance cruising, which is primarily my audience according to the stats on YouTube. But I'm enjoying the podcast right now, and I'm enjoying the YouTube channel, and I'd encourage you to give generously and help support that content creation. All right, after the first day, and as we got closer to the Galapagos on our way to Hiva Oa from mainland Ecuador, the wind backed and we were able to sail close to the wind and then beam reaching and after oh about a week we were more or less broad reaching and after two weeks we had a dead downwind run. Our winds were really light so 7 to 13 knots was probably 80% of the time what the wind we had I was expecting force four, we got force three most of the time. We pretty much had all sail up almost all of the time. We had to motor a lot on our first week because we were we had very little wind after the first couple days. But after that, we were pretty good. We didn't have to motor, uh, but we did while charging the batteries and we did have to have a lot of fuel to charge the batteries which we did have a lot of fuel so i tried a couple rigs downwind the primary rig that we used was the main with a preventer on it and the main was on its natural side i found that if i tried to take out the main uh, on the side where it didn't want to be naturally, then it was really hard to steer the boat and we had kind of wild motion and it was just awful. So the the boom went where it would naturally go and the Genoa I had pulled out with the whisker pole. Now I bought a whisker pole that was probably just a little bit too short because the costs of upgrading to the other pole were just huge. So you go a little bit size larger, you have to get all of these different kinds of attachments. And so it would, the upgrade to the bigger pole meant 
a couple thousand, three thousand dollars more versus the little pole. The littler pole, though, was maybe a foot too short for my boat, and it also got bent on the passage. And you know, part of that, of course, is my fault, but you know, part of it was probably that it was a little bit too small a pole. So going having to do it all over again i probably would have got the same pole but maybe two of them because it would have been cool to have two poles on this passage because when you are jibing right uh, that it's you're dead downwind so you jibe a lot especially in the waves that it would be nice to have you know two head sails pulled out i didn't have two head sails pulled out a lot i had it sometimes so we we had one wing typically was the main and the other wing was the Genoa but we also had a asymmetrical spinnaker that we could have out either on the pulled side or the non-pulled side typically we used it on the non-pulled side because the Genoa was already pulled out and that was kind of a big process to pull it out because it's got the fore guy the after guy the sheets and maybe a messenger line to unhook the hook on the front of the pole. I found that I never could get the the jaws uh, to unhook uh, from the sheet when I wanted it to and really the only way I was able to do that was to drop the pole and get it close enough that I could pull the uh, jaws open which is kind of a, I don't know, some sort of defect with how the the whisker pole worked. So the reason why I didn't use a double head sail rig more often was that you know it's pretty physically demanding to deploy the spinnaker and I got some back problems so I don't have back problems but fairly early on in the passage I tweaked my back by just kind of leaning over and then we hit an odd wave and I really had back problems the the whole trip until we landed in Hevo and then I felt better. You know, I didn't feel comfortable with either Ben and Sahia going forward in the foredeck and sail handling. I just didn't think they had enough experience for that. You know, my back injury was not so awful, you know, it wasn't totally debilitating, but it was enough that I just didn't want to wrestle with the sail and sail changes several hours per day. So we ended up using the main and Genoa out. The problem with the main and the Genoa out versus a double head sail rig is that you're more susceptible to the jibes. That because the main is going to touch the spreaders not very far out. You can't get a big angle on it because of the curvature of the main. It will touch the the shrouds at a fairly small angle. On my boat, maybe 20 degrees off center. And, you know, this was exacerbated by the fact that we have a very old main. And so I should have replaced the main before departing New Orleans instead of wasting money on the water maker but I wasted the money on the water maker when I should have got a new sail. And I'm getting, I'm in the process of ordering a, a new main sail. So it's, it's because it was old and baggy, it, it meant that the angle that I could 
prevent it out, have the preventer hold it out or have it held out, uh, was very low without touching the shrouds. With the double head sail, you could probably have the, the head sail off 40, 50 degrees, maybe 60 degrees from center. Whereas the main, if you had a tight main, maybe 30 degrees, but mine was not tight, so it was more like 20 degrees. And 20 degrees, if you're dead downwind, you're going to jive on either side, right? And that every time you every time you are consistently jiving on one side and you're backwinding the main, that's a big process to, to jive the, the head sail and the main. So the accidental jives are not a big deal if they're not too many of them and they're not too frequent. But, you know, if it if you're consistently on the wrong side of the wind, you do have to go through the, the jive process of jiving the pole and jiving the main and jiving the Genoa. Uh, otherwise, the, the boat just doesn't sail right. I really didn't do jiving angles. Because of the sheer distance, 3,500 nautical miles of the trip and the limited amount of time I had, I didn't feel like I had time to go hundreds of miles out of my way by doing jiving angles. So I wanted to do the downwind rig and stay with it. You know, the, my preference is the main and the Genoa, the main with the preventer and the Genoa pulled out. I, I like that rig the best that you know the problem with the double head sail even if you have two poles or even if you don't have back problems is you know obviously the asymmetrical spinnaker is a finicky sail that can get you in trouble if you get into squally conditions and we did have squally conditions on the last few days as we approached Hiva Oa and maybe I'll talk about that more next time but right now let's hear from our guest for this episode christian from the sailing yacht zero youtube channel and website but first let's hear from our on the ais youtube channel sailing windfall it's 2300 nautical miles six different rivers including the mississippi river 47 locks and four and a half months later. When I quit my job and sold everything I owned to move on to a 29-foot sailboat with my dad, I really had no idea what to expect. There's no words that can describe the uh, relationship that me and my dad have built on this sailboat together sailing. Our boat's called Windfall, so look up Sailing Windfall on YouTube and uh, watch our adventure. Thanks, everybody. Now here's Christian from the Sailing Yacht Zero. Okay, so what's the name of your boat? The boat name is Zero. Ah, okay, that's the, the channel Sailing Yacht Zero. Yes, sy-0.de. And, you know, it's on it's on uh, YouTube, Facebook, and the webpage, of course. So how did you come up with the name Zero? That's because my former life was, uh, you know, people say it's uh, 9 to 5. I was more like uh, 7 to 8, and I mean not in the morning. So I was working a lot, and because I bought Zero, or I bought the boat, it wasn't named Zero before. I changed my whole life completely. So I reflected in the boat name and started Zero. What were you doing before you you moved onto the boat? I am an architect. You know, it I, was fun for a while. 
I, I think uh, it's kind of very artistic type of career path. I mean, I think people kind of think of it like an engineer, but I, I've heard that it's it's more artistic than that. Yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I think it 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 can be really really uh, it can be really creative and uh, inspirational, but honestly, a big part of the business is business as usual. So it's all numbers and money, and nobody you know wants to spend more than he has to. So a, a big portion of the creativity dies with numbers. Tell me about your boat. What kind of boat do you have? It's a uh, Hudson Force. 1974. It's a nice, steady Taiwan cruiser. Best known because it was part in a couple of movies. It was part of Captain Ron. It was part of 50 First Dates. So that's where the, the people mostly remember the shape of the boat from. Now, it wasn't Captain Ron's boat, was it? The boat they, the family used? It's not, it's not the, the same boat. I mean, it's a boat which was used in the, in the movies, but it's the same shape, the same design, the same model as. Yes, oh. a Captain Ron boat. Well, I thought that was a really big boat. I didn't realize your boat was that big. Yeah, you know, they had a couple of different uh, versions, but the, the, the outdoor takes were done on a Force 50. Okay. So it's a 50-foot boat. I didn't realize your boat was that big. Okay. Yeah, it is 50 feet long, yeah. Cool. And who do you sail with? Sailing with my girlfriend. Oh, what's her and name? I occasionally have uh, some other people on the boat, so my brother was part of the Pacific crossing and have friends on board and my dad was with me. So every once in a while we clean out the guest cabin and put some new faces on the boat. What's the name of your girlfriend? Rebecca. Okay. So where'd you buy the boat? I bought it in California, in San Diego. It was, it was located in Ensenada in Mexico, but it was a um, San Diego broker who listed it and we will fly, flew down here and fall in love with it. Now, where are you originally from? I'm from Germany. Where in Germany? A little town called uh, Dortmund. Actually, the, a little town called Hagen right next to Dortmund, but nobody knows Hagen. It's in the northwestern part, close to Cologne. So that was a, just just moving on to the boat in California was a big step, right? Yes. Yeah, the biggest step I did for a long time. Why do you choose to do your videos in English? Um, that's a good question. I, I started uh, the blog in uh, in German just for friends, but I really quick figured out that I'm not only having friends who, who speak German. I have a lot of friends from all over the world. And so I figured out it's better to do it in English. And first I started just having the blog with, without, without doing videos. And when I started doing videos, I said, it makes no sense to make them in German. I mean, the big big portion of my followers are uh, Americans and uh, Australians, so I think it's the biggest portion, actually. Okay. You're in San Diego, that's right? Yes. What did you need to do to the boat before you guys kind of cast off? Oh, that's a long list. We bought a project boat. We knew that before, and we were fine with it. So we started working on the boat to make it kind of ready to go, for sailing it to Mexico. So here in, in, in San Diego, we, you know, checked the engine, fixed a couple leaks and put electronics on. We put it on a, on a dry dock and then we started the big refit, which included taking down the mast. We have wooden mast. We sent them to Bearwood, inspected all fittings, treated all cracks. We had a couple cracks in the mast, 
the small ones, but once it was all down to bare wood, we rebuilt the mast pretty much like they're new now, painted them, changed the rigging. Then we started uh, doing the decks. We had to take off the teak deck. It is a leaky tiki, or better, better said, it was a leaky tiki. And we took the teak deck off, then started looking for soft spots, figured out that pretty much the whole deck was done. So we cut it all open, digged out the old core, put new uh, marine grade plywood into the core, and refiberglassed the whole deck. That was a big part of the, actually the biggest part of the whole refit. Wow, that's crazy. That sounds like a ton of work. Yes, it took us, um, I think, with the mass parallel work, it took us six months just doing the decks, cutting it open, putting new plywood in, and even in Mexico, the epoxy was curing really fast. It takes a long time to glue all the plywood sheets in. Did you do the work yourself? Yes, sir. All of it. Yeah, I, don't, I couldn't imagine anybody affording that, so you had that to learn. probably a $30,000 check. No, really? we did it all on our own. And then once you got the deck done, were there any like electronics or systems that you added that you felt you needed? We took everything off the boat electronic-wise we had before. It was a kind of neglected boat, not not set up for cruising for many, many years. So we took everything off and replaced everything. We had a um, placed a big order with BNG. So had added chart plotter, radar, autopilot, changed all the hydraulics from from the steering system. So pretty much everything is new on this boat. And when you bought it, what year was that? I bought it in 2013. Okay. Uh, do you guys have AIS on there? Yes, we have an AIS Class B transceiver. So we're not only receiving, we are sending our position as well, which came out pretty handy a couple of times already when I crossed the oceans, especially the one, uh, the solo crossing to Alaska. It was really nice that, that the other boats could see me. It helped a lot. Oh yeah, that's definitely, especially if you're solo sailing. And there was quite a lot of traffic going up north. I didn't expect it. So uh, I expected a lot of traffic, but not that much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even on our Pacific crossing to Hivoa, we uh, we would see boats on the AIS and you don't expect to see anything there. Yeah. What do you do for electricity? Do you have a generator or you just work off solar? We added three huge solar panels to 660 watts of solar, which works really good. Then for the cloudy days, we have a wind generator, which I think it has 350 watts, which fills the uh, holes when it's cloudy and it, especially when it's stormy. And I just have these portable ones, but this is mainly because I'm doing some boat work here and I have to run a 15 amp table saw. So usually we don't need any fossil fuel to produce energy. Even if we go into a marina, we don't plug in. We just live from our, our solar and wind uh, generators. Oh, that's awesome. Do you guys have a fridge? We have a fridge. It's running 24-7. We don't have an icebox yet. Um, I'm, I'm working on that. The, the one which uh, came with the boat is broken. Um, I may have to add another panel if I run a, a freezer 24-7 as well. But because I have to rebuild the box anyway, I will put really good insulation in it so I can reduce the uh, energy consumption. When, you bought it in 2013. When did you leave your kind of home port? 
Was home port, you mean Germany? No, or... the home port for the boat, where you guys were doing all the boat work. Yeah. You know, we went back and forth a little for over a year to Germany because we were really ready to, to um, you know, set sails. We had still cars and flats at, ho- at home, so we needed to sell all this. And after we did the refit in Mexico, we splashed in April 2015, and from then on, we cruised the Pacific. All right. So I, let's see, I think I made friends with you on Facebook when you were in Hawaii. How did you get to Hawaii? Where did you go from uh, Mexico? Wymas is uh, the city where the boatyard was. This is in the Sea of Cortez on the mainland side. It's not on the Baja side. And from there, we, we cruised a couple of weeks through the Sea of Cortez and made our jump to Hilo from Cabo San Lucas. Oh, okay. All right. So you you didn't take very long until you, you sailed to Hawaii. No, we only spent around three to four weeks in the Sea of Cortez, tried to get out and on the, um, every windy day, we're looking for some challenges to you know test the boat. We didn't really test it before, especially not after the refit. But everything worked good, and hurricane season was... Uh, kind of chasing us. We didn't want to leave too late in the season. So we straight uh, went straight to Hawaii on actually on two days after official hurricane season starts. So good crossing. All right. So you were a little later maybe than you wanted. So that was maybe part of the reason you kind of cast off from Mexico a little earlier. Yeah. Like, like always, you know, it takes a little longer with refits and the intentionally plan was to leave in, in January, but we couldn't splash f- uh, until April, mostly because we didn't expect the, um, the work with the deck um, is so much, such a huge project. Yeah, so we were a little delayed, but just in time to uh, arrive Hawaii before the first hurricane came on uh, up north. So I think Hawaii is kind of an unusual choice. Why did you go to Hawaii? Yeah, I heard that a lot that people say, don't go to Hawaii. It's, it's cruiser unfriendly and uh, there's no facilities for boats and all the stuff. Uh, pretty much everybody told us not to go to Hawaii, but we wanted to go to Hawaii uh, and we never regret that, regretted that decision. It's a very nice place. People are facilities for boaters are limited over there, but you know, if you're on a boat like ours, you don't need too many facilities, then it's the right right place, right spot for you. We only spent a couple days in marinas. We mostly anchored, and we have good ground tackle, so we're happy with uh, even a little swell or a little wind. It's awesome over there, just awesome. Well, you know, I loved Honolulu when I visited it last year uh, by plane, but maybe we can get an idea of kind of the sailing conditions that you experience. Are the anchorages really deep? It depends where you go, like always. You can, I mean, we, we found so many anchorages which were in the 20 to 30 feet range without any problems. We anchored most of the time in Kihei, it's, uh, in Maui, where we anchored in 25 feet, perfect sand, holding conditions. We were the only boat over there, so the reef covered the swell a bit. But of course, it's not, you can compare it with a, with a bay where no swell is. We had swell and we were rolling. So this was part of our life. We were we were okay with that. 
Yeah, so I guess one of the things they say about uh, the Marquesas is they don't have any reefs. You really have to watch where the swell direction is coming from. Is that the same case in Hawaii? Hawaii is pretty easy swell-wise. I mean, the winter swells are coming from the north-northwest, and the summer swells are coming from the south. The, the winter swells are way stronger, of course, than the summer swells. All the big, big waves are only coming up in winter on the north shores. But it can be a six, eight, maybe ten foot swell in summer as well. That's, that, you know, that's always something you, you have to keep in mind. Like weather, you have to check weather every day in Hawaii. It's, it is in the middle of the ocean. You, you better never forget that. Many boats end up on the beach or on, on the reefs when they just forget about it or leave it. But we were living on the boat. We were staying on the boat any day, uh, every, anyway, every day. So when I check weather every, every morning, uh, the weather forecasts are good enough to get a good idea when to leave the, the place or not. So are there reefs or no? There are reefs in Hawaii, but they, are not, they don't have any reefs or not too many reefs which are far outside. So close to the shore, you, you have to be careful on some, on some places. But if you, if you keep your distance, there's all deep water. There's, there's, there's no, no offshore reef where you can uh, lose your boat like in other places in the South Pacific. Okay, so it's, it's not like you go inside a reef and then you have like a 360-degree protected anchorage. You have an anchorage that is exposed to one side depending on the weather, but you thought that the swells were pretty, pretty stable. Yeah, you know, on big islands, there is only Hilo. I think you've been to Hilo, or? No, I've never been to Hilo. There's a very protected harbor. It's, it's man-made, but it's really protected, called Radio Bay. That was our first anchorage. From there on, Big Island, there are not too many bays. It's, it's only roadsteads. And on, on Maui, it's pretty much the same. It's mostly roadsteads. The only island who has really protected bays, like you just mentioned with the 360 uh, protection, is Oahu. It's the only island. There's, uh, on the south side, there are a couple of bays. Unfortunately, Pearl Harbor is completely blocked by the Navy, it's, it's restricted to go in there. But on the north side, it's Kaneohe Bay, which is an awesome bay. It's a huge bay with plenty place to anchor, plenty space to anchor, and it's really protected. There are a couple reefs inside, to be, you have to be careful, but this is the only place on uh, Hawaii, which I consider is a really protected anchorage. So you said you spent a lot of time on Maui, is that right? Yes, we really fall in love with Kihei and Maui. It's a great, great place, great people. We met so many people and turned, turned them into, into good friends. It was a really good time over there. So you liked the people. Uh, was there any other things that you liked about Maui relative to the other places? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not happy into big cities too much. I mean, I really like the remote places. Oahu, especially Honolulu, is, is it's just a big city. It's, it's still Hawaii, it's still beautiful, and the water was crystal clear over there. But Maui is smaller, and it's more, more the kind of idea you have think about Hawaii. I, I can't really say why it is better than the other islands, probably because we, we had such a good time over there and we met so many people. Lanai is a good island as well, but it's pretty much private belongs to Larry Ellison, so there's not so many tourism going on except the two big resorts. Molokai is a, is a beautiful island as well, 
even less inhabited. And my second choice would be Kauai, which was awesome. All right. What's, what's Kauai like? Kauai is, they call it the garden island. It's, it's way greener. I think it's one of the oldest of the Hawaiian islands. It has some really nice cliffs on the northwest coast called Napali, the Napali coast, which is really nice uh, hiking grounds. Not so much for anchoring there. You have to pick your day really carefully because of the swells. It's very exposed. But on a calm day, you can anchor there probably just for a day or two and enjoy a breathtaking scenery. And compared to the other islands, Kauai was the most beautiful island. It's not only the nature which which makes a, um, a location good. So Maui was beautiful as well. A little more, a little more, you know, civilization. A little more shops and bars and restaurants. So you can't really compare them one to one. But if I have to to make a decision, it would be either Kauai or Maui. All right. And you spent how long in the Hawaiian Islands? One year. You sailed to Alaska. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Rebecca flew home for a couple of months to get in touch with friends and family again. And I decided to go on my first solo sail. So I sailed from Honolulu to Kauai, prepared the boat there for the final leg to Alaska, and then pulled up anchor and left for the northern latitudes. Okay, so you solo sailed from Kauai to Alaska? Yes. My first attempt to sail to Alaska was from Kauai, it's Hanalei Bay, to the Aleutians. I wanted to go to Dutch Harbor. Unfortunately, I only came around 300 miles before my rudder broke and I had to go back. So, yeah, I needed I need to go back to Honolulu to fix the rudder. And after that, I had to shorten my route. So I skipped the Aleutians and went straight to Kodiak. Okay, so uh, tell me how you dealt with the rudder breaking. How, did, how were you able to get back into port? Usually when I sail zero, I balance the sails. So I don't have... I, I don't have either any pressure on the rudder or just a little bit pressure on the rudder, which makes it easier to sail, faster, of course, and I don't need so much energy for the autopilot. And in this case, I could balance the sails that I don't need any autopilot. So I was sailing for two days without any autopilot and without using the rudder. I just steered by adjusting the sails. After two days, I couldn't do that anymore because the wind died and I decided to run the engine for some time, and then I figured out that my rudder is not working anymore. I have no idea when the rudder broke exactly. I just figured it out two days after I left port, needed to sail back. But I could just adjust the sails like I, I, uh, I did before and sail back to, to Honolulu. I, I tried a couple of different ways to clear the boat. Under engine, of course, you can't adjust the sails. You have to deal with prop work and with you know, windage, even currents. I tried to deploy a drogue, rig the bridle, put them on my, my winches and could adjust my, my course with just adjusting the lines on my bridle. But it slowed me down a lot. I could only make around two knots. Under sails, I did six or even more. So most time I sailed back to Honolulu. So you were not able to do anything to the rudder, but you were able to use the sails to change course and sail back. Yeah, when I when I dove down and checked the rudder, or well, let's start at the beginning. First, I checked my hydraulic because I had problems with the hydraulic when I bought the boat. And I said, oh man, that's maybe it's something with the hydraulic or the autopilot. But everything worked perfect. 
I even could see could see when I adjusted the course over the autopilot or even the rudder that my my rudder shaft was turning. So everything from from the helm through the autopilot through the electronics to the uh, rudder shaft was working good. So that could either mean I lost my rudder or it just broke off from the shaft. And when I dove down, I could clearly see that the whole rudder was disconnected from the shaft. So it was still attached to the hull because it's it's uh, keel hung, but it wasn't turning anymore. It was just flapping around in the swell. But you did and, make it into yeah. port. Yeah, I made it into port and it took me three days. Then I was back in Honolulu um, and it wasn't actually really difficult to do this. I mean, I could rig an emergency rudder with a door and uh, I could even just try to drill a hole in it and rig some lines directly to the rudder. All this would be, would have been other options, but the sailing was working very good. And so I don't need it to, to do this. Wow, that's great. I think you hear about a lot of people that abandon their boats. I think there's a story going around right now where they lost their rudder. I, I saw the video and yeah, it's a tragic, tragic uh, story. I, I don't know, I wasn't, I wasn't there. I don't know if anything else would be a problem, but abandoning the boat just because the rudder is not working, in my opinion, it's, it's not right. Yeah, I think I'd want to try a lot of things before I would do that. Uh, but yeah, yeah. It, it depends on also the crew and everything else. I think it'd be easier if solo sailing than having, I don't know, the whole family aboard in that situation. Yeah. How did you fix it when you got into port? Did you have to haul out or what, what did you need? What kind of supplies yes. did you need? I had to haul it out. I needed to, um, I mean, the stainless steel shaft was broken. The armature from the rudder broke off the stainless steel shaft. And as more as I, you know, investigated, I figured out that I have to take the rudder out. And I went to the boatyard over there, that's Kihi Marine Center. They came up with a ridiculous amount of money to do all this. But after some time and talking to PDF Hawaii, which is, which is a company located right in the, in, in the boatyard, we, we found a solution that I could do the work on my own using their shop and Kihei Marine Center closed one eye with, you know, measuring the boat and all the stuff. They really helped me out try to find a solution for it. It was still expensive, very expensive, but I could, I could manage it. I could handle it. So I, I hauled it out on Friday, started working on the rudder immediately. The deal was to be in the slings for the weekend and they splashed me again on Monday. Or, um, not on Monday, it was a public holiday, but on Tuesday. So I had Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, and a little part of the Tuesday, so four to five days to fix the rudder. It was very exhausting days. I, I think I wrote it on my blog and it's, it's in the video as well. I was never ever in my life, I was so close to just physically break down than this weekend. I slept six hours the whole five days. I was just working day and night on the rudder. I had to make it without um, spending more money for lay days. I had only one focus, fix the rudder. Awesome. I'm glad you were able to do that. It sounds very difficult. Do you have experience welding or anything like that? No, I don't have experience welding. Um, welding was the only part I hired a, a guy for. Um, Jamie helped me welding the shaft. He did a very good job on that. 
but everything else I I could do on my own. I either I mean I I have experience with fiberglass a lot after the refit with the boat, and I can handle tools with wood and all the stuff. And everything I don't know, I try to learn. Yeah, except the welding, I could do all on my own. After that, you made another attempt to go up to Alaska. Did you have crew on the second attempt? No, just me. Okay. Now, did your did your girlfriend not want to do the passage? I think it was a mixture of a couple of things. She wasn't really happy with the idea sailing to Alaska with all the stories going on. I mean, it was the same like with Hawaii. Everybody told us not to go to Alaska. They say, it's cold, it's stormy, it's dangerous, and the fishermen are really, really unfriendly. And, you know, I don't know where the people are having their information for. Probably 95 or 99% of the guys who, or people who told us haven't been there. But that was one part of the story. The other part was that she really wanted to see friends and families. I wanted to sail solo, not intentionally to Alaska, but that was always a part of, of my dream to sail solo. And, you know, putting all the pieces together, it was just the time to do it. Well, you know, I should say that, you know, my wife does not like to do passages. She's done one, but she normally does not sail with me, so... Yeah. In full disclosure, so not that I think that's weird. I think that's pretty common, actually. You know, I guess the thing about Alaska and, and sailing up north there is I just think the seas are really big, especially in the Aleutians. Is that true? Yeah, unfortunately, I can't say anything about the Aleutians from first-hand experience because I never made it there. With repairing the rudder, sailing back, I lost another month, so I left Hawaii in, in early June. I had to shorten my route. The summer season in, in Alaska is pretty short, and even if I like to challenge, I like to have a couple of challenges on sailing, and I'm, I'm not only sailing in sunny weather, it would be probably not really nice experience to be there in the winter and in stormy conditions, especially when you're on your own. I had a great time up north, and I never had any serious, dangerous conditions. I could check my weather regularly, and the summer season is quite calm anyway. So coming from one of the you know, protected bays, like Prince William Sound, for example, back to the ocean, yeah, you could feel the power of the waves. You could, you could really feel how strong they are. I think it's, I said that a couple of times in the videos that are saying, oh, man, they have so much power. And I can only imagine when this power gets wild in a storm, like in the wintertime or even spring or fall. You know, right now over there, I think it's hell on earth. How long were you in Alaska for? Spent there the whole summer, so I arrived. I needed 16 days from, to sail from Hawaii to Kodiak. So I arrived mid of June. I left Alaska from Ketchikan end of August. I could have stayed longer weather-wise, but I had some visa issues, so I had to leave by that date. You can have a good season from early May to probably end of September in Alaska. It's a little and cold yeah. after that. It's probably frozen over. Too. <laughs> Is it? I guess the, you know maybe the acreage is there a little frozen. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it's it's freezing too much over there. The waters are mostly ice-free. But it's not getting light. I mean, it's, it's dark most time of the day. It's rainy, it's stormy, it's cold. Yeah. And 
yeah, it, the chance of storms is really high. Probably you have around 10 to 15 storms a month during winter time over there. Wow. All right, you want to check out Christian's bonus interview exclusively on the personal RSS feeds on patreon.com slash slowboatsailing where he talks about his visa problems with the U.S. and his, the upgrades he's making to his boat and his future cruising plans. Between now and the next episode, there'll be some opportunities uh, for more personal interaction with me. I am going to be speaking at the Southwestern International Boat Show in Houston at 10.30 a.m. on Saturday and Sunday. And I may be looking to do a YouTube live of that event if I can figure out all the technical details. But if you're in the Houston area, definitely come to the boat show. I'll be giving a talk on cruising the Bahamas and a talk on how to sail around the world part-time. Those seminars, as are most of the seminars at the Southwestern International Boat Show, are totally free as long as you pay for your admission to the boat show. Last year, I recorded Greg Kutzen's talk with Mantis Anchors, and that was our episode 11 podcast, and maybe I'll record some more and bring some of the more interesting ones to you as a podcast. So the times for those is the Bahamas talk is 10.30 a.m. on April the 8th. That's central time, so that would be 11.30 New York time, and the How to Sail Around the World part-time talk would be at 10.30 a.m. April 9th, Sunday, Central Time, or 11.30 Eastern Time. So come say hello to uh, me and Sophie and Jana, and maybe Daly will get to walk around, too. I think, actually, no, he won't get to come, because I think their hotel is not dog-friendly. But you get to see me for sure, and probably Sophie and Jana too, if you come to Kima near Houston, Texas. I'm interested in trying out some YouTube live events. So I plan to have a YouTube live event on Saturday, March 11, 2017 at 3 p.m. Central Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, and another one on Saturday, 317, March 17, 2017, at 3 p.m. And you just go on YouTube and search for Slowboat Sailing. And if you're already a subscriber, it'll probably pop right up. And we'll see how that goes. I t test ran one today. I didn't tell anybody about it. I only made it public for a few seconds, and several people jumped in and started chatting. So I'm hoping it uh, will go well. We'll see. These YouTube live events are really opportunities for you to ask questions and, uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one interaction. I suspect Sophie will want to participate and Daly will find his way in. I'm not so sure that Jana will make an appearance, but maybe she will. You never know. So we passed our 750 subscriber mark on the YouTube Sailing channel. So we gave away another book to John 
if you'd like to be in the drawing, we just need your U.S. address. Just email that to me or send me a direct message on Twitter at Slow Boat Sailing or on Facebook slash Slow Boat Sailing or Slow Boat to the Bahamas is the name of my Facebook page. And uh, we'll put your name in the hat for the uh, 1,000 subscriber drawing. John should already have his limited edition copy of How to Sail Around the World Part-Time. And we'll be giving away another one when we break the 1,000 mark. The drawing's only open to people with physical mailing addresses in the United States. So we just did a long Panama Canal video, how to transit the Panama Canal and takes you through all six locks of the Panama Canal from the Caribbean Sea to the Pacific Ocean and leaves you at the Balboa Yacht Club. In April we're going to release episode 12 of the Round the World Vlog series. It's also going to be a long episode. Uh, probably about 20 minutes would be my guess, but I haven't cut it yet. And uh, we're going to sail to Ecuador offshore in episode 12, and that may be the last one. I've made episode 10 a patron exclusive for the first three months, so I will not release episode 10 until July 2017 when we're in the Marquesas and the thinking about that is that it's really hard to upload new videos in the Marquesas so if we have it already uploaded ready to go then uh, we'll be able to give you that monthly episode at YouTube slash slowboat sailing we upload new round the world vlog series at 5 p.m. New York City time on the first Thursday of the month. So in on the first Thursday in April, we'll come out with the offshore trip from Balboa Yacht Club in Panama City to Ecuador. Hi, I'm Jana Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Subscribe to our free newsletter at slowboatsailing.com.